to the DIY Animation Show, where we get to the heart of what it means to be an independent animator. I'm Lauren Morse. And I'm Jessica Dahl. Together with our guests, we'll explore tips, tricks, the psychological, the fundamental, and above all, how to make whatever you can with whatever you've got. From the keys to the breakdowns and everything in between. The timing's right to do it yourself. Let's get rolling! Show. Yeah! Nice! All right, today we've got part two of our interview with Adam Fleck and Nate Swinehart. This little intro here is going to be really short today. Mm-hmm. Adam and Nate had so much to share that we just want to get out of the way so we can get down to the good stuff. Yes, there is so much in this part of the interview. Lauren and I gave it the subtitle of the how-to episode, a.k.a. Nuts and Bolts with Adam and Nate. They know so much and they learned so much while working on the Sentinel that we just had to pick their brains as much as possible for all of their favorite tips and tricks. Mm-hmm. Yep. Amongst the many things we cover in today's episode, here's a little something-something to give you a taste of what's to come. Oh, man. We talk about realizing what you don't know and how to remedy it on the fly. How to manage a large team and keep morale boosted. We hear a cautionary tale from Nate. And encouraging cogitations on the creative voice. Indeed. And, of course, true to form, the one most vital thing a DIY animator needs. Yep, this episode is jam-packed. Yes, but that's a never mess. We're out of here, and here we go! From what we've seen, we get a real feeling that you guys know what you want to say and how you want to say it through your work, that you've got a real strong sense of your own creative voices. Hmm. Yeah, what it, can we talk about that? How do you guys feel about the topic of finding your voice? It's mm. <laughs> <laughs> a tough one. I we ask think... the hard-hitting questions here on <laughs> DIY Animation yeah. Show. <laughs> do you want to start, Adam? Yeah, I guess to me it's important to figure out what your personal struggles are. I think that's important to bring out in your work because that's what makes it personal so much as like your personal experiences say like for Nate living in Alaska or for me I did like tree work for seven years of my life things like that and what kind of effect it's had on you I think part of it is you can't force your own you know voice it has to come naturally but I guess to me I do a lot of thinking on just what are the things I wish I could change what are the things that really affect me And those are the kind of themes that I like to explore in my work, because that's what makes it personal to me. Mm -hmm. To add to that, I think that in finding your own voice, 
I think it's twofold. I think one is actually making things, you know. I think yeah, right. in outside of just the Sentinel, I think, which is this huge overarching project, you know, things like if you're a writer, like writing really short stories, if you're an artist, just like doing quick pieces or seeing what kind of animation you gravitate towards that you like to do or what you, I mean, you find your voice a lot of times by doing stuff and then looking at it and be like, oh, I didn't necessarily like set out to do something like this, but I kind of did. I think that a lot of my work... <laughs> I'll set off to draw something. I'll be like, I have this great idea. And then I'll draw it and I'll look at it and I'll be like, well, this turned out like a lot more sad than I was <laughs> like intending for it to be. And it sounds kind of funny, but that like happens to me a lot. <laughs> and, and then I'll, I'll kind of look at it and be like, oh, I think I'm exploring this theme more than I'm exploring like this thing that I thought I was setting out to say. Or like, I think what was actually resonating with me was this, not this. So I think doing a lot of work is important, not necessarily with the outset of like, I'm going to make something really sad. <laughs> but, uh, maybe. I mean, maybe that's what you want to do. And I think doing stuff out of reactions to things that happen to you are important too. I think also I find out a lot about myself as a creative person by watching things and yeah. intaking media and and seeing what I think and then like discussing it and being like, I thought that this was really successful, but not this. I didn't believe this character moment, but I did believe this. I really wanted them to go there and they didn't. And that frustrated me. I think you learned a lot about your own personal aesthetic by your reaction to things as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's true too that a lot of the times when you set out to do something, say, write a script and you have a specific idea of where it's going to go, a lot of the times when you've done the script, you really figure out what the themes are and what you're actually uh, saying with it. So I feel like a big part of the process is exploring what you're feeling along the way. Um, you may start with one idea and then it may lead you somewhere totally different. So it's hard to really, for that reason, I think it's, you know, you can't really force it. You just kind of have to feel it uh, as it goes along. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, it seems like there's really that level of introspection, both that you need for yourself and then also maybe for your project as you're working on it. And then maybe at the end, too. Mm. Yeah. So this has all been very exciting. It is <laughs> like hands down. Now we're up upon another really exciting bit in this episode in which we have nuts and bolts with Adam and Nate. And uh, <laughs> so uh, we are super excited to talk to you about some animation techniques. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it is time. Oh, yeah. God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you guys are such awesome animators. We've been itching to get to this section. Oh, it's true. It's exciting. Truth be told, when we were working on the interview, we were like, okay, not for technique questions, what to ask. And we just had like... We had two full pages at least. There were so many questions. <laughs> We've narrowed it down. Don't worry. Yes, yeah. No worries, no worries. Hope we don't disappoint. <laughs> oh, no, I don't, I don't think you guys could try it. So. <laughs> oh, That's man. Awesome. So if you guys are cool with it, we're going to start off with some techniques that you've learned while working on the Sentinel. And basically to open up, as you're working on the Sentinel in this four plus year time period, mm -hmm. it's grown and it's snowballed into this really, really cool thing. Did you guys have any cool discoveries while you were creating the short, whether it was in the 3D pipeline, animation techniques, anything that turned out to be super efficient that you were like, wow, I can't wait to use this again. Mm, <laughs> or okay. on the countermeasure of that, maybe one thing that you would vow to never do again. <laughs> <laughs> 
sure we have plenty of this. Yeah. <laughs> um, let's see. Well, maybe this is a better question for Adam, since he was in the 3D pipeline and the 3D animation stuff more so than I was. Uh, well, I learned a bunch of stuff because I had to learn stuff, which is <laughs> like I, you know, had to learn how to do cloth sim and uh, how to texture. And I was kind of the guy who jumped in uh, and just did every job that we were kind of desperate to have done. So that was really cool for me because it pushed me to, you know, figure all these different things out that I had no idea about before. And I think it was the same case with Legacy. And I think that's part of the process that I actually really enjoy is that getting the opportunity to face these challenges and figure out, the, you know, different ways that you can overcome them. I can't really think of any specific animation thing that I learned. Um, you said that you didn't know about the texturing and the cloth stuff. How do you even start trying to learn something <laughs> like that if you don't know how to do it? Uh, the internet, basically. I, I got a subscription to lynda.com mm -hmm. and I just kind of grinded through it. Just started at their basics and, uh, you know, watched all their tutorials and tried to implement it and it worked after a while. And the same kind of goes with, with the texturing. I think, I don't know if I used Linda. I think I may have uh, used one of the other big ones. Uh, I can't think of the name right now, but yeah, I just kind of watched the tutorials and start from scratch. And I think, you know, when you have that goal and when you know it needs to be done, it's so much easier than when, you know, your possibilities are so vast. Like if I was to sit down right now and say, oh man, uh, I just want to learn how to make a game. It's really kind of daunting. But if you have a very specific task to do, and even if it's, you know, a task that you just assign yourself, like, oh, well, I want to just make a ball jump. It's much more achievable, I think. Mm -hmm. mm. Adam was an incredible champion with that whole aspect of things and really got us past some obstacles that at times felt like, well, this is just like, well, texturing, we're just never going to get it done. Like, it's just <laughs> so huge of a task. But and then to his credit, like Adam totally had never done that before. And one of the shots that he did all the texturing for is one of my favorite shots in the whole thing. Which one uh, is that? It's the shot where Ori is <laughs> walking into the temple. You see the temple in the background, and it's him oh. struggling against the wind and the. Oh, and is the... that the is that the one with like the orange light coming down, and it's framed so nicely, and there's all like the cool stuff all around and everything. I think maybe, no. or is that no? <laughs> all of the trailer is amazing. So. <laughs> shot where you really see the scarf that the kid has. It's before he gets into the into the temple, and it's. It's you see his back and he's struggling against oh, yes. and the trees are blowing. Oh, yes, yes. Um, and it's just that entire section of the temple that he's going into. That's the only shot that you see it in. And it hadn't been textured at all. And Adam just went in and did the whole thing, having never textured a shot before. And it looks baller. It just looks so good. <laughs> uh, it's amazing looking. It's so good. Oh, wow. That was very, very awesome and amazing to see. <laughs> I would say that personally, because I was more on the story 2D uh, and kind of like look ideas of doing like the color script and stuff like that. The pipeline stuff that I kind of learned was just in terms of giving effective feedback to like kind of a largely disassembled team of people who were doing things in their spare time and just... I got really good at taking shots into After Effects and figuring out quick ways of giving notes of just like color shifting things and um, and throwing things into Photoshop really quick and just making layers and, and being like, it needs to be more atmospheric like this and kind of developing a shorthand for giving feedback became pretty instrumental in terms of 
when people are so frequently off on their own and you're only together for a really short amount of time, trying to get everybody on the same page and understand, you know, maybe not everybody was there for a meeting where you talked about, oh, now the color, like the light's going to be more purple than it was before. So you have to like get people up to speed really quickly and give out feedback, which is clear, (laughs) uh, is a bigger obstacle than you kind of might think. And I think also when you're working with a another director, making sure that both of you are on the same page is also instrumental and in each other's corners about things because giving mixed messages to a crew is not good to do Mm -hmm. because then people will need to redo things that they thought they were doing right and it can kill morale and it makes it feel like the whole production isn't like the right hand doesn't know what the left hand is doing. So being synced up and then communicating clearly was like a lot that really came to the forefront of making sure that this whole thing even got finished. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know what, now that you say that, I think the biggest thing was just figuring out how to manage a project of that size motivationally with the team and keep the ball rolling. Uh, you know, because people weren't being paid and it's all just kind of a passion project, the question of how do you keep people on some sort of schedule and how do you keep them, you know, coming back and continuing to move the project along? I think that was a big learning experience. I mean, it's one thing when you're in school and you're doing a film and everybody's kind of kept to a certain standard, but when there is no standard and you're kind of just hoping people will, you know, do the work, you really have to keep them motivated. You have to keep the passion going. You have to keep them excited about the project, which, you know, is very difficult to do. Mm-hmm. Can you give an example of how you would keep morale boosted? Yeah, we would uh, we would try and do get-togethers as many as we could. Aww. Do various things with the team, like uh, we went bowling, we went golfing. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's so good! Yeah, we went out <laughs> on hikes. Yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah, um, and I think those things, anything really to make everybody feel like they're not just you know working on this project and that's it, make it feel like a community. Even just taking the time in our weekly meetings to, you know, just see how everybody's doing and just, I think is really important because it makes it more than just, you know, the project, just being a worker bee, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, we made the effort to have weekly meetings with everyone together, as opposed to necessarily like giving feedback through email or something like that, but doing it as a group so that everybody was on the same page about what was happening and what the kind of consensus was on like style and look and stuff like that. Uh, Also to have that that sense of culture and community and also like to help people see what other people were doing and also contribute to that like, hey, oh, you're having this problem with the program. Well, you can do this. And it'll like people were able to like talk shop a little bit. Mm -hmm. And it was a tricky thing to do because we had people in multiple time zones and countries all trying to get together. And it would be really easy to just say, hey, just send us our shot and we'll give you feedback like through email or video or whatever. But we made like a really conscious effort to have these group meetings of like the different departments and make sure that uh, everybody kind of knew each other and everybody was kind of, there was a consistent meeting time that people could schedule around and and it both like created culture and also created like a vague sense of accountability for what people were doing. When you see all these other people doing it too, you're mm-hmm. more inclined to kind of push yourself and, and stuff like that. Mm, yeah. Yeah. That, that's definitely entirely the case. I think we definitely found that as soon as uh, the train kind of stops moving, yeah. uh, you know, one part of the process becomes less motivated and sees that, uh, you know, these people aren't 
doing the work and they may have to wait for their part to come through and so then they get a little slower. So making sure that everyone's seeing that the people around them are really putting in the effort, uh, I think is intrinsically very motivating. Mm-hmm. Yeah, hands down. Mm-hmm. You see them working on stuff and you're like, I want to work on stuff too. They're making yeah, exactly. cool things. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's good. Oh, that's super cool. As I was watching the Sentinel trailer for the first time, one of the things I noticed was that it's an extreme widescreen, which is super duper cool. And I've been (laughs) dying to ask you, what was the inspiration for going with super wide? Oh, man. Well, I always wanted to do super wide, even back to our old film. But Nate was like, oh, we can't do super wide on Legacy. It's a vertical film about flying. (laughs) I was like, are you sure? (laughs) I remember that discussion. <laughs> wow. I just there feel like was it's... a trend at our at SCAD when we were there that just like the super widescreen thing was really in. Mm. <laughs> and everyone was like, no one's doing it, we should do it. And and my, my thesis film, Rain Dance, it was in the super widescreen. I don't think it was as widescreen as as Sentinel is, but I remember at the end of it being like it's cool. It gives a big, vast cinematic look, but it's not always the best thing for action. And it depends on what's happening in your film. Mm-hmm. And when I was storyboarding Legacy and we started it in the super widescreen, I was like, this is not going to work. You get no sense of height mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> with this wide of a screen and these compositions that are supposed to be really precarious and dangerous and flying just don't read. Um, But the Sentinel was a very different story (laughs) Mm -hmm. because it is about this vast land and this journey that these characters are going to go on and this epic scale and that widescreen just like it just lended itself to the world that we were talking about. Yeah, totally. Oh, that's super, super cool. Yeah, and just it sits really well. Like you say, super wide is it is really cinematic. Yeah. I'm such a big fan because usually you only see it in sci-fi films or like really epic adventures. Yeah. So it fits so well. Yeah, it's it's engrossing. Yeah. It's all about kind of being totally immersed in the world and so you need a world that's going to lend itself to that Mm. um to that kind of spectacle which just was exactly what we were trying to do with the sentinel Mm -hmm. um so it felt like the right decision to make yeah Mm -hmm. no that's that is wonderful Mm -hmm. oh curiosity satisfied in the best way (laughs) (laughs) on the subject of scale the depth and everything feels so immense how did you guys do that? <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> uh, I think a lot of it is in the lens choices, using really wide lenses. And some of the spaces helped achieve that scale, as well as just having a lot of things on different planes, seeing you know way far out stuff and you know the blurred objects in the foreground, as well as the midground. You know, you kind of get that sense as soon as you start it to populate the, the environment with all these different, you know, levels of depth. Mm-hmm. Kind of texturing it that way with, uh, is it kind of like seeing how far the eye can, what the eye can catch on to as it recedes further back into space or up in space, maybe? Yeah, I think so. Like when we initially did the previs, uh, we were a little bit worried because some of the spaces, yeah. which were just, uh, you know, very basic shapes of the temple and the environment, it felt like it, 
wasn't big enough. But as soon as we started to populate the space with the tiny blades of grass and you know the rocks, as well as some of the larger uh, boulders and the map painting with the you know boulders way, way, way in the background, you really kind of start to build out that sense of space or the sense of depth. Um, kind of just works itself out. Oh, it's good. Kind of like a relational proportion, really. It yeah. Seems like. That's great. Oh, man. And that can kind of fit with the theme of how does the kid relate to the Sentinel and vice versa. No, but no, but no, no, no. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's so good. And just kind of, and again, along that line, the concept art and all the 2D drawings for the Sentinel are so appealing and beautiful. And again, you can see the strength of those drawings translated into the strength of this beautiful trailer. What do you guys feel is the key for translating 2D design into really appealing CG like you've, like you've done? I mean, <laughs> I think having just a strong foundation of what you want to go for and like how often do you see amazing concept art that then is totally lost in the final product of the film? Mm -hmm. And you'll like look at the art book and be like, oh man, why didn't it look like this? Like it would have been so cool. <laughs> and I think that we just really oriented ourselves on the importance of showcasing the world. And um, so whatever, like that was always the end game was like, make this look beautiful and like kind of scary, <laughs> kind of broken, kind of evoke this feeling with this world. Um, and I think all of our decisions about building the environment and all of that stuff like went to that specific focus. And I don't know that I can speak necessarily of, like nuts and bolts of what really made us like achieve that. But um, that sounds pretty nuts and bolts to me. And all. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but well, I know that, you know, Adam has an incredible, incredible eye for CG elements like models and, and appeal and characters. And, um, you know, he's he's extremely this is a good thing he's extremely nitpicky about uh he's very like pixel pusher about making sure that like the eyes look just right and like, the proportions are like this and the hair doesn't feel like exactly right shouldn't we go back and do that again uh and you're like ah okay uh, <laughs> and but, uh, to, but honestly to his credit like it's always like right it's always i will trust adam's nitpicky notes because they always lead to things looking pushed and polished more than i could ever like, push them to i think alone um, yeah. So I think yeah. that like having Adam's eye is like a huge part of that. <laughs> if we can I all just that. use Adam's eye. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. Just get Adam's eyes. Boom, right out of his head. <laughs> I mean, I've always been, and even just growing up, when I would draw, I would always like copy, say, comic books exactly. That would be my thing, because I would always uh, try and emulate the style of something as closely as I could. And I think that's part of the reason why I'm very nitpicky. And I think I do put a very big emphasis on maintaining as much of the look of the 2D concept art as possible, because it's so easy in CG to lose it uh, and just do something that is a little bit more realistic. Because I think out of the box CG, you know, you can put two lights in the scene and hit render and it, you know, it looks pretty good but it's, it's like realistic lighting. And so, especially with Nate and our concept artist, Bonnie's color script, matching that and always looking back to that in the renders as much as we could throughout to make sure we were pushing uh, the lights and everything about the textures as much as we could away from realism 
and you know still kind of capturing you know as much as we could of the 2d stuff was really important just to achieve like a unique look and even still i think we could have done better to achieve more of that it's uh it's always a bit of a struggle in cg mm-hmm. i remember we had a conversation with actually one of our map painters uh about the color scheme of the sky uh right. and they were very adamant that the colors that we were using were not possible in reality and we needed to shift away from purple and more to blue and we were very adamant that that's the point <laughs> like, uh, that it's like it is meant to be different and alien and and to feel like not quite natural we wanted to just to portray this world that like had hit this cataclysm and had kind of been broken and fallen apart and it needed to feel like familiar but also very otherworldly too and i think if we weren't dead set on that decision about what we wanted to convey it would have been easy to to be like oh well this is what happens in nature okay well we need to evoke that so let's do it but i think in the end we were able to create something that was a little more uh i mean just pushed in a way that has its own feel to it and just kind of knowing from the get-go that you're like dedicated to achieving that that's your aim it helps you make those decisions along the way that's great Mm. i'm really curious as to whether did you use any animation cheats during the sentinel that we could try and look out for like uh like smear frames in the animation or where you had to cheat the rig so you could get a certain silhouette things like that i think i'm not sure if this is true it was true for a while but i think we might have fixed it but the the final shot of the trailer where the sentinel is leaning down into frame with you where the it says the rack focus to see his face Mm -hmm. as he says like is it time um I believe he's in a pose that makes absolutely no sense <laughs> for him for him to be able to be that close to the ground, but like to make the composition work, mm-hmm. uh, which was always like the end goal, the most important thing. <laughs> yeah, there there are a couple of those in that same scarf shot that Nate was talking about earlier. He's moving at such a rapid pace that he's like totally sliding across the floor, but it just looks right in screen. Uh, so. I'm always of thinking that whatever feels the best within the composition, do it. And don't worry about what actually should be happening. Absolutely. (laughs) I 10,000% agree with that. (laughs) If anyone were to ever be like, but the strides he's making are so crazy. I'd be like, what does, who cares? Like (laughs) someone can be like, that was a weak shot, but at least the strides were correct. Like... (laughs) That's you want to go for maximum impact with what the point of the shot is. Yeah. Yeah. Besides that, I mean, I don't know how many animation sheets we used. We had we used Studio Library, which helped kind of keep Ori on model as far as his expressions and stuff. Just kind of building out a panel of different expressions that you know arrange for people to stay within. Mm-hmm. That was always helpful because it's very easy to especially with the rig that we had, which was so amazing. It could do practically anything, um, but it's very easy to push it too far. So using Studio Library to keep within that was very helpful. Yeah. Did you build the rig yourselves? Uh, We had a friend um, who's working in London named uh, Leon Sui do the rig. We call him the wizard. Yeah. (laughs) We also definitely did a lot of the animation of the bushes and the the grass is... uh, 2D After Effects animation on planes. Wow. Oh, that's so cool. Which, oh, good. Thank goodness it doesn't look like it. 
Yeah. I had no, I had no idea. Yay. <laughs> Good. I think that's also something interesting too is that sometimes you have these obstacles that you have no idea how to get around, like making a million bushes. And you kind of have to figure out these new ways. You have to think outside the box to get it done. And doing an independent project like this and things like that are kind of exciting because you invent these new, totally strange things and just kind of hope people won't recognize that you're just totally <laughs> just animating planes. <laughs> no. Yeah, and then it was like, okay, cool. Well, there it is. Yay. <laughs> oh, wow. That's the coolest thing ever. Oh, man. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I guess it's just that is the DIY way, isn't it? It's just using yeah. whatever you've got to get the result that you want. So. Exactly. But, and like you said, I mean, not that this is like a great thing, but like nine times out of ten, people won't notice or it'll work. Yeah. Or you know what I mean? Like, it's like, it's more mm-hmm. of a big deal to you than it is to, because yeah. we could have absolutely been like, no, we need to actually get someone to model a bunch of bushes, figure out a bunch of different things, that cycles of them. We need to populate it. It's going to like kill our render time. It's going to make whatever and added like a, an additional six months to the project or done what we did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just keeping your priorities straight. And it's like, how much does this actually matter? It's important that it's there because otherwise it'll look empty, but it's like we can probably get away with a, a slight amount of animation because all it needs to do is be activated. It's not the point of the shot put it in the background and blur it and we're good to go. (laughs) (laughs) I love those Um, situations. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Cause I don't know. I think it's true too, that like as animators, we can be like perfectionists and we can get lost in the, like the, like animation is so much work that you feel like it needs to be a lot of work. Mm. Everything needs to be a lot of work. And if something feels like you're doing like a shortcut, it doesn't feel right. But I think that's not, true (laughs) i think that you have to i think that it is absolutely okay to do that and in fact it's it serves you really well and lets you do grander things and put your effort towards the things that are more important oh yes yes that is so true yeah i wholeheartedly agree with that i am taking shortcuts wherever you can yeah yeah absolutely and just not stressing about it (laughs) because it's a trap to feel like uh, this is a funny cautionary story (laughs) when i was in school for animation uh, i remember a gorillas video came out or something or we're watching a gorillas video and i thought that it was super awesome and i showed it to my friend and i was like isn't the animation so cool and she was like yeah well it's pretty limited animation i don't know that it's that impressive and i was like well, it might be limited, but I think it still does what it's supposed to do, and it's really effective. And she said, yeah, I'm not surprised that you think that. Or or some serious shade about... Oh, my goodness uh, gracious. I know. Wow. um, But And I, like, she said that, and I totally internalized that uh, and was like, oh, my gosh, I need to make sure that I'm always animating everything and, like, for that reason, in my final student film, I put a line boil in everything because I thought that it was like absolutely necessary. And in the end, I think it was a detriment to the film and that it would have been better if we had just used held frames and a more limited animation to punch the moments that we were actually trying to punch instead of having this kind of wobbly, ever-present line kind of for no reason. So I'd say stick to your guns about your aesthetics and don't listen to what conventionally might be said about things because it probably doesn't apply your instincts are probably better the end wow (laughs) that is an amazing cautionary tale oh joke my goodness oh my gosh 
oh, I really feel for past Nate and internalizing <laughs> it. I'm like, oh no, but no. I just, yeah, it's. I think it's really easy to feel like we have to kill ourselves with what we're doing work-wise in order for it to like quote unquote count or be real animation. Yes. But I think that's. I think that's total BS. I think that clear posing and and motion that leads your eye and evoking a reaction is that's the point all the technique stuff in the middle there is just how you get there and anything that doesn't serve that purpose is just getting in the way mm-hmm. yeah for sure yeah. well i guess to round off this little nuts and bolts section for each of you what's your favorite thing or technique to use in animation right now whether it's related to the sentinel or not i am forever and ever a fan of the smear frame Oh my gosh, me too. (laughs) And trying to... I'm now like a smear frame snob. (laughs) Slightly. Where I'm like, if I see a smear frame, I'll like go back and analyze it and be like, "Mm, it's too long and close in the direction to like the like original pose. It should be more moved forward. The timing and spacing of smear frames, because when they are like perfect, they're unbelievable. But they can also be very clumsy. And so I'm ever in pursuit of the perfect smear frame. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would I would agree, except in CG, which is always always interesting uh, and always a challenge to try and insert as much as you can of 2D into what you're doing, especially with like multiple arms and anything like that. Those are always my favorite things because it, it just kind of pushes the medium. Mm. Yeah. So I just find that fascinating. Mm. Yeah, that's super cool. It's great to expand on that. Is there anything you found that has gotten you a step closer to that perfect smear frame? Hmm. I mean, I think a lot of realizing it's as much about what's happening on either end of the smear frame. <laughs> <laughs> I feel extremely dorky talking about this in these terms. No, no, no uh, this is good. Okay. Yeah. We really want to hear about it because... But, I don't know about you, Jess, but I super love smear frames. I yeah. haven't really figured out how to do them yet. And no. to discover that there is such a thing as smear frame snobbery, I'm like, wow, I want to learn all I can. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> because I think, like, in terms of, like, I mean, there's questions of, well, are you doing multiples or are you doing, like, a just a long, you know, wipey type smear? Um, are you changing up, like, the actual aesthetic? Are you using, like, blurish? lines if you're if otherwise it's like cell shaded um are you staying true to those like clean clear shapes and like what best articulates that and then it is true that i think in terms of like the anticipation and then the overshoot on either end you have to really know what's going on with those before you can accurately make the most effective smear frame um and then push and pull i will want to draw a smear frame that looks beautiful in and of its own right (laughs) and and then i will like maybe tailor what's happening on either end to make to like justify it maybe like a bit more but then of course you also want to like just stay true to the intent of like what it is you're animating and so i would say probably like seven times out of ten i'll draw a smear frame and then go back and be like "Mm, it's not really warranted and take it out (laughs) and (laughs) and just resort to a normal drawing in between to get there yeah i think it's to me it's like it's more about the feeling than anything i could do like a crazy cool looking smear frame and then you play it back and it's like oh well that doesn't work even a little bit yeah so (laughs) (laughs) so you really just have to see how it fits in the scene when you play it back and kind of you know work with it as you go Mm. yeah 
That's so cool. I really want to be a smear frame connoisseur now. <laughs> you can. You can. Just, <laughs> just do it. You are. You are one. Just having an appreciation for it makes you one. <gasps> oh, wow. <laughs> oh, dreams come true. <laughs> <laughs> oh, today's the best day ever. It's true. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, in that case, that brings us to our final question of the interview so adam and nate in your opinions what's the one most vital thing you think a diy animator should have oh my gosh um, <laughs> that they should have like in their repertoire Ooh, whatever that coffee. means to you. <laughs> lots of coffee. coffee yeah <laughs> yeah i, 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 I second that um they should have goals deadlines structure yeah um because even if you only have an hour a day you can still utilize it as long as you kind of know what you're doing and what you're aiming for mm. but your yeah just the the ability to like just do it to just go for it and not second guess yourself leap before you look if you're a <laughs> you love that saying i do <laughs> <laughs> i would say discipline i think discipline trumps talent and anything else i think if you can build a habit of doing something it is much more important than anything else i mean motivation i think is in the moment but if you build a habit of something like working on your film you know a little bit every day or once a week at a certain time that's what makes you good at something so if you're going to make your own film you need to keep like Nate said, a structure, and from that, uh, some sort of discipline to keep that structure. Yeah, the two really go hand in hand, don't they? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And it's also like, that might sound big, but it's it's super easy. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's super easy to just have a deadline and then orient yourself to work towards it. Mm -hmm. Like, it's it's no more complicated. It's not it's not so easy, maybe that's not the right word. It's not complicated. It's It's a simple task to do. Set that deadline. Do what you can for it. Hit it. If you don't, set a new one. Wash your hands for me. And then you'll have a two-minute-long trailer that you don't know how it came into existence. <laughs> and, and two years yeah. less of your But <laughs> Yeah, it's those first steps, I think, more than anything, that are always, in any case, in anything you do, the most difficult. But as soon as you get uh, in the motions with it, you almost forget that it's you know, hard to do. It just becomes a part of your life. So just getting there is the most important part, I think. Mm. That's brilliant. Oh, perfect. You guys are awesome. <laughs> Thank you. Oh. So Adam and Nate, what's next for you guys now that the trailer's finished? Uh, yeah, well, we're, um, we're in the midst of pitching uh, the project through a bunch of different studios, trying to get an executive producer on board. Our hope is that we can release it uh, online, whether it's Netflix or Amazon or Hulu or whatever else. Um, so that's what we're mainly focusing on. We have a couple other projects that we're building out right now and pitching as well, um, trying to kind of make a slate for our company, which we're just kind of forming, called Boketo. Um, so that's the hope that we can kind of start with the Sentinel and build from there. Oh, that's really exciting. Mm. Oh my gosh. Best of luck to you guys. Oh, thank you so much. <laughs> we hope we'll have more news for you soon. 
Yeah. We will. More trailers, more episodes. Yeah. Oh, yes, please. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. That's awesome. Oh, that's super great. Yeah, I suppose um, off the back of that, if people want to get in touch with you about the Sentinel, uh, what's the best way to get in touch? Uh, you could go to our website. We have our contact information on there, uh, boketto.tv, or you could just email us directly at hello at boketto.tv. Um, either one works. Uh, yeah, you can follow me on Tumblr at nateswinehart.tumblr.com. Uh, I'm also on Twitter <laughs> as, I believe, Unleveled Nate, and I have a webcomic that uh, is slightly dormant at the moment, but is worth keeping your eyes on because things might be brewing for that as well. Uh, it's it's called Level. It's like a sci-fi, crazy advan- adventure type thing. Uh, kind of funny, kind of dark, all that jazz. It's uh, I've been doing it for like 15 years. Oh my goodness. It's just really crazy. But you can find it at levelthecomic.com. Nice. It's also linked on our website as well. Yes. Perfect. <laughs> and we'll also have all of the links posted in the show notes for this episode too. Yeah. Adam, did you have any personal links you wanted to share? Uh, I'm good. Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> Just cool. email me at the other email and we can talk and become friends. Perfect. <laughs> Amazing. That's great. Cool. Well, I believe that wraps it up for our interview. Adam, Nate, you guys are such a pleasure to talk with. This has been so much fun. Mm-hmm. Thank you both so much for being here. Just no Lauren, problem. Thank you. It's our pleasure. Yeah, it's been such a great time. Yeah. <laughs> fun to talk shop. Oh, yeah. 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 oh my gosh. Super good. Yeah. <laughs> I will also never look at a smear frame the same again. Yes, my work here is done. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for chatting with us. It was a total blast. (laughs) Right. You guys have such good knowledge and I can just feel that creative energy just buzzing. I just really, really want to make something right now. I know, me too. Thank you guys so much for talking with us. It was wonderful. And quick note for everybody, Nate's comic Level is now updating and you can find it at levelthecomic.com Yeah, check it out. Yeah, it's awesome. I'm really excited it's updating again. Yeah. Oh man, this was such a great interview. I really, really love their commitment to their art and just making the best animation they can. You know, the pushing boundaries of what they've got and trusting and nurturing their individual and joint creative voices. Definitely. Yeah, it's just, it's so cool how within their creative partnership, they each have very different creative strengths that pair so well with each other. And I feel like their working together over the years has really fine-tuned that creative harmony into something that's just so beautiful. Mm, yeah. Yeah, they both hit different areas, which really makes for a rounded three-dimensional collaboration. Oh, Lauren, did you just make an animation pun? <laughs> I might have done. <laughs> sneaky, sneaky. <laughs> One of my favorite parts from the interview was learning the extent that their actions were guided by what the film needed and how that didn't always coincide with what they wanted to do. Yes. And not just the Sentinel, but, you know, within their other projects, too. They were always guided by what was ultimately best for the animation or even the specific shot that they were in. Like when they were talking about super wide uh, for uh, the Sentinel versus how they didn't want to do super wide for Legacy or even talking about how with like putting in the blades of grass integration and like the bushes of stuff, Mm -hmm. how they were like, we don't have to model it. Let's use 2D After Effects and that'll work 
just as well and we just want to get this done and it's better for the shot. I really admire that commitment. I think it's really inspiring. Yeah. We were really inspired by their commitment to stay true to the film through any means necessary, whether through an easy-to-manage cheat or by tackling the obstacle of learning something new head-on. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> she didn't see it, but I totally punched the air when I said that. She was like, yeah. <laughs> Emphasis. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah. That, yeah, it's amazing. I mean, you really get the sense that... Nothing at all is actually impossible. Mm-mm. Just because you don't know it doesn't mean that you can't learn it. I love it. It's true. <laughs> they had so many great CG tips to share today, and they really did whatever they could in order to make their Sentinel dream happen. But without sacrificing their vision, which, speaking as a 2D animator, always seems like a real challenge in 3D. How about you, dear listeners? Do you have any fun, super handy quick cheats for your 3D animations? For example, how Adam and Nate were willing to break their rigs in order to get the best looking shot possible. Or maybe you have a great learning resource to share, like how Adam used lynda.com to learn how to texture. We'd love to hear them. So come to DIYanimation.show to the Adam and Nate part two blog post and pop them in the comments section there. Let's get a little CG tip party going on. Yeah, party, 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 party. Well, that's it for this season of interviews. But fear not, we are not going anywhere. We have a brand new selection of monthly goodies in store for this short season break. And we're kicking it all off at our usual time next month with a catch up with Adam and Nate to find out just how the Sentinel has been getting on since we recorded their interview. Yay! Yes, we can't wait for this opportunity to bring different types of posts and content to the show. Maybe try out some new things. So keep an eye on the site, DIYanimation.show and our Twitter and Facebook for all the updates, because that's where they'll all be. Yeah, we are pumped about it. Yes. Not to be missed. No. Indeed. (laughs) And if you have any questions, don't hesitate to get in touch. We'll be back with our next season of interviews in October. And again, keep your eyes on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash DIY animation show, and Twitter at DIYA show for updates. And join us on the blog, DIYanimation.show. For all those monthly goodies. In the meantime, follow your heart and have fun animating. We'll see you soon. Real soon. Hugs, everybody. Bye. Goodbye. Let your animation dreams come true. <laughs> the DIY Animation Show is an indie production from your hosts, Jessica Dahl and Lauren Morse. Our theme music was provided by Azure Flux. Subscribe at DIYanimation.show. If you liked this podcast, maybe you'll enjoy more art and story podcasts from our friends at the Oatly Academy of Visual Storytelling, featuring insights from some of the most inspiring voices in animation, games, biz effects, comics, and children's books. Find them at friendsofdiya.com. We'll see you next time. Bye! Okay, so if 2D and 3D were characters and they had to fight a dragon, how would they work together to (laughs) defeat the dragon? (laughs) Let's see. Mm. I guess it would depend on the dragon. Is the dragon 2D or 3D?
because excellent question well i guess it works either way <laughs> but if the dragon is 2d i think that 2d would start off the fight <laughs> and probably maybe would win for a bit but then the dragon would maybe start getting the upper hand and then 2d would tap out and bring in 3d who would bring a whole new dimension <laughs> Whole to this flat dragon who couldn't do what the 3D could do and move around and use very naturalistic camera moves. Uh, <laughs> I can't anticipate these and, movements. And depth of field. Yeah, it would just go really close into the foreground so that the background would just completely blur out and destroy the dragon that way. <laughs> I'm just going to leave it at that. That's beautiful. <laughs> you got a, a game plan. Yeah, I have a whole other scenario for Judy winning, but uh, we'll save that for the next one. Ooh, <laughs> sounds good. <Yeah. laughs> to be continued. Wow.